0: listen carefully.
1: Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway.
0: Ring, 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 ring.
1: Hi, this is
0: Lindsay with Psychiatry. Hey, Lindsay, this is James with the Gen Med team. Uh, here, I've got a new console for you. Okay. This is a 26-year-old girl. She's got a history of depression, and she came into the emergency room. She's really not been eating or drinking much recently, so I was thinking maybe she's depressed, but then her mom says that no, at home she's really she's like not even moving all that much oh. and she just stays in her bed all day you know i just watched her in the emergency room and she didn't really say anything to me she kind of just stared at me mm-hmm. so i think this is something a little more than depression mm. and uh i would be helpful to get your your sense
1: yeah absolutely we'd be happy to see her
0: that would be great
1: all right thanks
0: thank you today in what will not be a secret to you listener we are talking about catatonia
1: that is right that's right catatonia is something we're often consulted on on an inpatient setting and it's actually pretty common on uh, the inpatient psych ward as well what
0: is catatonia
1: So catatonia is a neuropsychiatric motor symptom that also has some behavioral abnormalities associated with it. And it's associated with a bunch of different psychiatric as well as medical diseases. Like what? So it's actually most common in bipolar disorder, but you also commonly see it in schizophrenia, depression, but then you can also see it in medical illnesses like seizures, TBI, stroke, toxic metabolic states, drug intoxication, withdrawal, autoimmune diseases.
0: I once saw a guy who had choked and then had catatonia after he had choked.
1: Yeah, or I saw a lady with delirium while she was having her cancer treatment who developed catatonia while she was delirious.
0: Are there types of catatonia?
1: There are three types of catatonia. And I think when we think of catatonia, I think a lot of people think of someone who's really stiff and still just sitting there. And that is one type of catatonia. It's called withdrawn catatonia. But there's also two others. You can have a more agitated or excited form of catatonia. And this tends to be um, under-recognized just because it doesn't fit the classic picture of what catatonia looks like. And then lastly, there is the malignant form of catatonia.
0: That sounds life-threatening.
1: Indeed, it is life-threatening. In addition to having some of the common features of the potentially the other two types of catatonia, it's also accompanied by autonomic disturbances that can lead to life-threatening medical consequences for the patient.
0: I'm thinking cardiovascular collapse, shock. Exactly. Okay, so we've kind of talked about catatonia, but is, I mean, is catatonia, I, I haven't even seen in the DSM. What's right. up with that?
1: Right. So catatonia is in the DSM, but it's not identified as a diagnosis of its own. You'll see it listed under catatonia associated with another mental disorder or catatonia so like due to, to a medical condition. But it's not its own diagnosis. It's symptomatic of something else that's underlying it. It doesn't just pop out of nowhere.
0: That reminds me of our delirium discussion.
1: Exactly. It's, it's similar. So you can think about it in that way.
0: So you need multiple criteria. You need like more than three of several in within 24 hours. And there's a whole list in the DSM. And
1: There's a very long list of possible symptoms. There's
0: symptoms and they're, they each have, there's a lot of vocab. And so we'll try and kind of reduce a lot of that in this episode. But it is worth looking at because it's, it is ultimately how you diagnose it. So like what is waxy flexibility? And we can describe it a little bit. I also recommend looking it up and looking up pictures of it and videos of it because I think that will be helpful.
1: I agree. I mean, there's so many different possible symptoms of catatonia. It can be hard to keep track of them and the the words are kind of weird. Like some of them are German, not that German words are weird, but they're just hard to remember.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to some of these words, but why does catatonia happen?
1: So catatonia it's it's a little bit unclear but it's presumed due to dysfunction of certain neural circuits in our brain as opposed to like a focal lesion in the brain like you would have with a stroke and the the main underlying neurochemical player is GABA and so it's hypothesized that a GABA deficiency leads to catatonia and The basic, uh, I don't know, sort of a simplified explanation of why this might be is GABA inhibits certain neural circuits that are the basis of our learned innate behaviors. And so a lack of GABA may lead to activation of these circuits. So for example, when I say learned innate behaviors, it's like the flight or fight response. And so if someone is flight, they might of just sit there and be really still or if they're fight they might be really agitated so you can think of that as kind of a s- very simplified way of understanding where these two types of catatonia arise from
0: yeah i really like that explanation it kind of makes sense from a neural pathway standpoint this is pretty common you pull the reference and said it could happen at like eight, you know 10 percent of patients is, and is more um, it could even be more common in the inpatient setting so it's something to keep an eye out for yeah once you've thought about catatonia, you do you have to keep this in your differential as you're thinking about other things? You know, delirium, stroke, Parkinson's, mm-hmm. autism, OCD, mutism, you know, like all there's these other so things. There's so many
1: different things that you could think of in the differential.
0: Once you do that, then are there labs that we should do here? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, in general, the diagnosis is much more uh, dependent on a thorough clinical exam and no single, there's no single lab test that we have for catatonia, unfortunately. That would make our lives a lot easier. But with a catatonia workup there are certain lab tests that we would recommend more to rule out other things on the differential or to get a sense of even if something medical is underlying the catatonia because we always need to rule out medical causes first before we chalk it up to being due to a psychiatric cause so you just do really basic labs like a CBC. You would uh, do a probably a BMP with the LFTs or a CMP. Uh, you might look for serum iron, iron if you're also concerned about NMS because they can look a little bit similar. A serum CK, again, if there's con- more concern for NMS being on the differential, getting a UTOX, UA, iron studies, brain MRI or CT if you're concerned about an encephalitis sort of picture maybe even an EEG or an LP. It all depends on what you're considering in the differential. You're not going to do that for every single catatonia case that you see.
0: But what you will do is a catatonia rating scale.
1: Yeah, why don't you tell us about it?
0: Sure, so this is a 23 item, or the Bush Francis, which I feel like is the the most common, the Bush Francis catatonia rating scale. And it's used to grade catatonia severity. And each of those items is scored from zero to three. And there's 14 items on this inventory. And uh, and then you, you add them up. So when you score this, you've, you first have to do a catatonia exam. So maybe I'll describe it and then you can tell us what some of these words are. Because we're getting a yeah. little back in our vocab. Realm. Yeah,
1: the vocab's coming up. Okay,
0: so first look at this person
1: step one (laughs)
0: yeah that's pretty critical
1: yes (laughs) um so
0: look at this person try to engage them in conversation hi how are you this is my name this is why i'm here i'm here to talk to you right and you're looking to see like what sort of activity level we're talking about like are they stuporous and not responding are they you know they engaged how's their eye contact what sorts of movements are they making this is big you know we're talking about mannerisms Uh, the sort of stereotypies, Uh, maybe you could define that word for us.
1: Yeah, so mannerisms are a way of describing an odd caricature of normal actions. For example, maybe someone ringing a doorbell, but they would do it over and over in a repeated way that would look weird. Stereotypies, on the other hand, are non-goal directed movements that are repetitive and abnormally frequent
0: so moving your leg back and forth, back and forth. Exactly.
1: The key here is stereotypies non goal directed, whereas mannerisms are goal directed in some way.
0: Okay. Grimacing is another movement and that just strikes me as grimacing. It exactly. Looks like kind of like a, a facial A frowny face. Frowny grimace thing. Okay. okay. <laughs> Often kind of with like their mouth pulled back. Exactly. Their teeth exposed. Exactly. Okay. And then not only are you watching their movement, but you're listening to their speech. Yeah. And hear some of these other ones come out.
1: Okay. So echolalia is when the patient will mimic someone else's speech. So for example, if James was to say, how are you, how are you, no, how are you, how are you? So that's okay. So that's you getting it. <laughs> so that's echolalia is when I'm parroting back what he's saying. And then verbigeration is a repetition of, of phrases and sentence over and over and over like a stuck record.
0: I live in an apartment, I live in an apartment, I live in an apartment, I have a cat, I live in an apartment.
1: Exactly. So that would be verbigeration.
0: And then mutism.
1: When you're mute, very few words. I mean, there's a range of mutism on the Bush Francis scale, but I mean, generally someone is saying very little.
0: That was an example of mutism. (laughs) After you've listened to somebody talk, then you'll start a physical exam And I usually start by looking at somebody's arms and and moving their arms. I'll examine their arms for cogwheeling and then I'll kind of attempt to reposition them saying like keep your arms loose and then I'll kind of move their arm with with like first I'll kind of move it lightly and then I'll move it with a little more pressure. And then finally, I'll I'll let go of their arms so that it's above the bed, kind of at their side, but in the air to see if it kind of remains in place. Right. And that applies a few terms, which we'll go through. So negativism is what?
1: Negativism is when the patient is either opposing or not responding to instructions given by the examiner.
0: So if I say, all right, can I have your hand? And then they don't move at all. That would be negativism. Yeah, exactly. Or if they try really hard to keep it at their side as I try and examine it. Exactly. Okay. So then waxy flexibility, what would that look like?
1: Waxy flexibility basically is slight and even resistance to positioning by the examiner as though you're molding a piece of wax. And then they'll hold the posture once you're done shaping the wax, essentially. You can think about it like that.
0: And then can you talk about... So, Gegenhalten?
1: So, Gegenhalten is a fancy German term that refers to essentially resistance to passive movement that's proportional to the strength that is applied by the examiner. So, for example, when you're moving their arm around with the alternating pressure, as you apply more force to their arm, they will resist the movement more. When you're applying lighter pressure, they'll resist it less.
0: So you should pay attention, not just are they providing resistance, but how much and kind of what that feels like.
1: And how does it vary depending on the force that you're applying to their arm to move it.
0: Okay. And that's uh, that's separate, subtle, but separate from like outright rigidity. Exactly. It is different from rigidity.
1: Exactly. And same thing with cogwheeling, it should be consistent.
0: So then you ask them to stick out their hand and then you say, all right, I, don't let me move your hand up any further. And then you apply just a gentle little bit of upward pressure. And if their arm goes whoop and it like raises up, that's mitgenhen.
1: yes that is mitgenheten exactly so it's it's when slight pressure from you the examiner leads to movement in the body in any d- direction in spite of your directions not to allow this so we
0: call this passive obedience because they're obeying you but in this kind of like you're providing a little bit of that upward exactly, force. exactly exactly okay. as opposed to automatic obedience so what would that be?
1: Automatic obedience we elicit in the catatonia exam for example by asking the patient to stick out their tongue and then immediately saying I want to stick a pin in it Aka, okay. that's an unreasonable thing to request of most people, and they wouldn't do it. Yeah, a patient with this automatic obedience and catatonia would stick out their tongue.
0: Okay. So what if you say, you know, I say, okay, don't shake my hand, but then I extend out my hand, and they're doing this back and forth, like, uh, uh like, like, would I shake it or not shake it? That's that would be ambitendence.
1: Exactly. Exactly
0: that being stuck in between these two states of mind
1: yeah so there's a lot of different motor and behavioral symptoms that you're trying to elicit with this exam
0: mm-hmm. oh, and then grasp i would add in the grasp right reflex. The so grasp reflex. once you're holding somebody's hand like how often have this really tight grip you have to like pry your hand out exactly who so that's a bunch of different things and it's a lot of vocab yeah but i do recommend if you do encounter a patient with catatonia, trying some of these different things yourself you can also watch a video we've got a link on our website yep so once you've done that
1: and you're concerned about catatonia.
0: Because the Bush Francis scale elicited all of his abnormal movements and sounds. What do you do? How do you treat this?
1: So, you will give the patient a Lorazepam challenge.
0: Okay, and that's because benzodiazepines, of which lorazepam is in that category, are the treatment for catatonia. Exactly.
1: Remember how GABA deficiency was thought to be one of the main reasons why or behind catatonia? You're giving them back some GABA.
0: So if, if you do this trial, what do you expect to happen and how fast do you expect it to happen?
1: You give the patient one or two milligrams of IV lorazepam, ideally, and then you'd re-examine them after about maybe 10 minutes or so. And you should see uh, a positive response would be reduction of the catatonic symptoms by at least 50%. Okay.
0: And then if it doesn't happen...
1: So if you don't see a response, give them another dose. Repeat the dose and then re-examine them in another five to 10 minutes.
0: Okay. And uh, IV is nice because it it acts faster.
1: Exactly. If you were giving them IM or PO, you'd want to wait a little longer, like 15 minutes for IM or uh, 30 minutes for PO.
0: Okay, now... If this is working, that does lend credence to this fact that it could be catatonia and then the treatment would be, what, more benzodiazepines?
1: Exactly. It would just be more benzodiazepines. So lorazepam is, is generally thought to be the first line medication and the doses are a lot higher than you expect. And a lot of medical teams will sometimes get scared when you're making the recommendation because you'll, you'll often start at a dose of six to eight milligrams and then up titrate to effect essentially. Um, And patients with catatonia can sometimes require up to like 20 plus milligrams of Ativan a day, which seems weird when, you know, you're giving the sedating medication to someone who's just sitting there.
0: Once the catatonia is improved, you expect somebody to be on benzodiazepines long term?
1: No, you can slowly taper it once the underlying illness has remitted. There's no consensus on how long they need to be continued. It's a little bit of trial and error and slowly tapering them.
0: Because, like we said earlier, this all theoretically should resolve once you have treated this underlying illness, but you're treating the symptom of an illness that you have right now. Exactly. So, if this works, and you, see you pulled a, a link that says it works about 70-80% of the time, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive as far as treatments goes, yeah. what if it didn't work?
1: Well, then, you are not lost. You should go to our favorite treatment-resistant option for many things, and that is ECT, electroconvulsive therapy.
0: That would be something if somebody didn't respond to benzodiazepines or if they had malignant catatonia.
1: Exactly. It is the treatment of choice if you need a really fast response.
0: So it's faster and that would be that would be why you go with it. Okay. Yep. Is it more efficacious? It
1: is. The efficacy rates are higher really than anything else we have in psychiatry. They're about 90%. So, quite high.
0: Impressive. Yes. Now, are there other things that you should be doing along the way?
1: Yes. One really important thing, especially because we see catatonia in patients with schizophrenia, is that when you've made a diagnosis of catatonia, you should or are considering a diagnosis of catatonia, stop their antipsychotic because it it may be contributing to the catatonic state or even increasing the risk of developing NMS
0: Neuroleptic malignant syndrome.
1: Exactly, associated with that. So
0: And is that affiliated with dopamine, like neuro like antipsychotics? Exactly.
1: So the risk of worsening catatonia is higher with antipsychotics that have a higher dopamine blockage and a higher potential of EPS. So your typical antipsychotics like Haldol are your greatest offenders.
0: Now let me think about this. What if you had somebody who is schizophrenic and you feel like their schizophrenia was the cause of this catatonia, what do you do then?
1: It's kind of a catch-22, right? It's like, well, uh, they need an antipsychotic to treat the schizophrenia. So what you do is even if you think the psychosis is causing the catatonia, you will stop their antipsychotics at first. You'll start your benzos or ECT. And then, as the catatonia starts to improve a little bit, then you can add back on the antipsychotics to target the residual psychotic symptoms. That makes
0: sense, and you might pick a medicine that has kind of lower, less dopamine antagonism. Exactly,
1: exactly. Avoid the typicals
0: here. Okay. All right. Now I. Zolpidem or Ambien? Is that is that ever used?
1: Yeah, it is actually. It's something to think about if benzos aren't working and maybe it's taking a little bit longer than you'd like to get the ECT figured out. Zolpidem also increases GABA just in a slightly different way than lorazepam. So similar mechanism of action. And there's some case reports to suggest that it works.
0: Okay. So maybe a second line agent along with amantadine, memantine. These are kind of second line things we're thinking over.
1: Yeah some second line things for med management. Now, overall,
0: what's the sort of prognosis here?
1: Yeah, so it's actually pretty favorable, especially when it's diagnosed early and treated pretty aggressively.
0: Is there is it something where like the longer you have it, the more treatment resistant it is?
1: Exactly. It's like a lot of our illnesses, the longer someone's in an untreated state the more likely it is that the treatment will not work as well as it would have been earlier in their disease course. You're kind of
0: getting stuck with this brain chemistry, really.
1: Exactly. Okay. Bring, 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 bring.
0: Hey, this is James with Internal Medicine.
1: Hey, James. It's Lindsay with Psychiatry.
0: Thanks for giving me a call back. I'm so glad.
1: Yeah, so I'm calling you back about the patient that we talked about. Okay. So we did a Bush-Francis scale for her and did a catatonia exam and she actually scored high enough that we were pretty concerned about catatonia as being the cause of some of these behavioral and motor changes that you guys had noticed with her. And so we gave her an Ativan challenge we gave her two milligrams of IV Ativan and she got a lot better she started talking Wow! and started moving again and it seemed like for a minute she was back to her old self
0: okay well I'm really interested maybe I'll go and check her out myself yeah it looks like.
1: and so what we'd recommend is that you start scheduled Ativan two milligrams TID and then we'll help you guys up titrate the medication from there
0: perfect thank you so much for seeing her wow that's really helpful
1: absolutely
0: all right. So let's wrap it up here. Lindsay, maybe you can tell us some takeaways about catatonia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the, the main things to remember here is not all the vocabulary that we just went through because, yeah, just. No, please don't, don't try to remember yeah, every single one of those words that. They will
0: not be on the shelf.
1: OK, so main things. Catatonia is more common than you might think. of impatience that's a lot that is a lot and it goes under recognized and it can be a real game changer when you are able to recognize it and so that's leads to the next takeaway because it's more common than we think keep it on your differential especially for patients that don't have that classic withdrawn hypoactive form for more that excited form where they're agitated there lots of psychomotor agitation
0: and there's so many symptoms. Look them up. Look them up in the, in your, you know, diagnostic statistic manual, your DSM or print out a Bush Francis catatonia scale, which are available online and there'll be a link on our website. Yep. The treatment for catatonia is benzodiazepines.
1: Yeah. Benzos GABA.
0: And there are other options too, including the very highly effective ECT.
1: Exactly. So those are our main takeaways.
0: This has been episode three of our consultation hospital based psychiatry series and it's also the end oh no it's been real our pager is going into retirement but uh, maybe we'll break it out for some advanced consultation topics
1: absolutely
0: check out our website uh, for some of the resources that we talked about leave us a review and also let us know what you'd like to hear more about the next time we come to the consultation series
1: yeah we are eager to hear feedback
0: our website is
1: www.psychessentials.org.
0: You can also follow us. We're on Twitter and on Facebook at Psych Essentials. Check us out on iTunes where you can rate, comment, and share. Our music is by Javier Suarez off the album Tumbling Dishes. There's a link on our website. Audio engineering assistance by Alex. We're still in our beautiful recording studio. People, places, details have been changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to jump into some topics about some major psychopathology next time. So stick with us. Get excited. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye.